Welcome to the Project Life Mastery Podcast. I'm Stefan James, founder of ProjectLifeMastery.com, internet entrepreneur and life coach with a passion for living life to the fullest and fulfilling my potential as a human being. My purpose for this podcast is to be a powerful and passionate example of the unlimited possibilities that life offers for any of us that has the courage to commit ourselves to life mastery while sharing ideas, concepts, and strategies that can help you master every area of your life from your health, mindset, emotions, business, finances, relationships, and spirituality. Now, if you're someone like me that is hungry to take their life to the next level, then you're in the right place. Welcome and let's begin. Hey everyone, this is Stefan James from Project Life Mastery and I'm here right now at SellerCon in Las Vegas and I'm sitting next to Ezra Firestone. He's a founder of smartmarketer.com, provides some really incredible training and resources for people that want to learn marketing online, specializes in e-commerce. You've had so much incredible success in e-com. You started in 2007. You've been involved in so many businesses and niches. Um, the Boom Brand by Cindy Joseph has been a huge success for you. And uh, just in the last three, four years, you mentioned you did 65 million in sales, which is been a good couple pretty years. incredible. So thank Thanks you, brother. Really yeah, appreciate it. Thanks for having it. me on. I appreciate it. Thank you for watching. Yeah. So do you mind just sharing with people a little bit about yourself and your story? How did you sure. get into this to, I guess, where you are today? Yeah. You know, I think most people who become entrepreneurs are chasing some form of freedom, yeah. financial freedom, time freedom, location freedom, uh, freedom from things they don't want to be doing, a job they don't like. And, you know, I was no different. I grew up without money. I grew up poor and I always had the goal of generating resource because I wanted to take care of my family. I wanted to do cool things in the world. I wanted to be able to contribute to causes that I find noble. And I had realized I grew up playing poker, hustling, just doing anything I could, you know, side jobs, whatever. Um, and I, I got the game of, oh, the people with resource are the ones who have ability to do things. And so I'm going to be someone who figures out how to generate resource. And so um, poker was great. It was really fun, but it's like you stay up all night, you sleep all day, you're with a bunch of degenerates, there's no women around. It was like not my scene. Yeah. But I was playing underground poker in New York City, and uh, I'll back up a, a little bit. I, I grew up on an intentional community, which is uh, another way of saying that. It's kind of like an alternative lifestyle experiment, a hippie commune a group of people who have opted out of the mainstream and decided to live life a little bit differently than most folks. And through that, I was exposed to a lot of viewpoints that people don't get exposed to very often. You know, conversations around what happens when you get a group of people together, jealousy, money, possessions, communication, sensuality, like all the stuff that happens in a relationship is what this group was studying and teaching courses on and that's like what they were doing with their life. And so I grew up in that environment and my parents and this group, they teach courses on all these different subjects about like how to have winning relationships across the gender line or otherwise. Um, and so I was playing poker for a living and I met a guy who had come around to take these courses. It was, um, there's a place in New York where they have them. And he was doing life coaching. Now this was before coaching had penetrated the mainstream. Now there's relationship coaches and health coaches and business, everyone's a coach, yeah. which is great. But back then, we're talking 2004, 2005, yeah. he was selling digitally delivered eBooks on how to start a coaching oh, business wow. online using search engine optimization as his source of visibility. So he had a traffic source, which was Google, people typing in queries like how to make money, and he was selling information, very similar to like what we do, but way back then, 
And the cool thing about coaching is there's not really a governing body, so anyone can be a coach. It's both the positive and the negative, right? But he was really great at it, and he helped a lot of people. And I saw this guy, and I'm like, he's making money from his laptop. I am grinding all night to make like $200 with Sonny Franchisi and Joey Bananas and Vinny DeLimo and Jimmy Tutone and Johnny, how you doing? And all these guys. Like, this is, I got to figure out what this guy's doing. So I did a trade with him where I taught him poker, and he taught me search engine optimization. And once I learned that, and I sort of like saw the opportunity of the internet, I was like, oh my God, I need to do this. This is what, I didn't go to college. I was like not, but in, considered by the school system to be a dumb kid. Like I just didn't yeah. fit into the box. And so um, I always had some like thing that was not mainstream that I was doing and I found the internet and I've just never looked back. So did you start first selling digital products I with started, SEO or did you? How, yeah, I start, sorry I interrupted you. No. And, and then just how did you transition it into physical? So here's what happened. I started with him and he had an influencer based business on his persona and he was doing you know, content marketing all the way back then. And it, back then, content marketing was a newsletter. Right. You put out a newsletter, you got email subscribers. He was using Google AdWords to buy traffic and Google search engine optimization because that was the only game yeah. in town. Yeah, there's no social media or yeah. Facebook or anything. None of that existed. And so this is a, an aside. I want to remind me to come back to what Amazon business owners don't understand about social media. But what he understood was query-based traffic. People typing in queries, and going to find stuff. And so I started working for him, learning search engine optimization, doing all his landing pages, doing all the technology, learning how to run webinars. And I just kind of learned this business. I ended up taking that business over and growing it to seven figures. And then one day, he experienced what most entrepreneurs experience, which is burnout. He was working too hard. He didn't have work-life balance down. He was doing it all himself. And he had adrenal fatigue, and he burned out. And that business went away. And at that point, I was like, oh my god. This was great, but it was all predicated on this one guy, and when he bailed, the whole thing fell apart. So I was looking for a model where I could leverage the, the skills that I had learned of traffic generation through SEO and paid Google ads and sales funnel optimization, which back then was real simple, and I realized physical products are where it's at because you can control the whole customer journey. It's not predicated on you as a person, which, by the way, I'm a big fan of influencer-based businesses, obviously, but... Yeah. They have that downside of if you stop working in them, right. they go away. They're not assets. They're, yeah. they're cash flow. Yeah. So I made the switch in 2007, and I've, and I've been doing it ever since. Yeah, and I think that was that the My Costume Wigs? That was My Costume Wigs. So yeah, you started with that. And <laughs> well, drop shipping back then. Everyone does drop shipping now. Yeah. And mostly what they're doing is they're like drop shipping stuff from China that they've never seen. They don't care how it's made. They're getting it off Alibaba. And it's like that has a whole host of moral problems as far as I'm concerned of like not knowing where the shit is made and it's just not good. Back then, by the way, I understand you got to get started somehow and hey, maybe you have to drop ship to make some money so you can then invest in a brand and cool, but like it has problems. Yeah. Back then, the way you did it was you found American drop shippers, people who had, who sold bar stools, people who sold gift baskets, people who were in America making products who did not have them on the internet and you went to them and said, hey, I want to put your products online, let me build a store Yahoo store, OS commerce, or whatever it was, you know, um, and you built a store using their stuff, and that's how you did it. And that still works today, by the way. You can still do that model. Got it. I'd love to hear just about how you got into the, um, the anti-aging niche with the, the, the Boom brand. Sure, it's sure? pro-age. Okay, pro-age. anti-anti-aging. <laughs> yeah. Um, but basically, like, I had learned about SEO and search engine, op or uh, paid advertising with Google AdWords and all that kind of stuff, 
and I was living with Cindy. I moved when I was 17 wow. from New York City to, or sorry, from uh, California to New York City to live with Cindy because she so was Cindy was the, the, crea the creator of the she product was, or uh, the face former, of it? She was the face of it. She was the influencer behind the brand. But she was a former makeup artist and had turned into a fashion model. See, what happened was round about 2002, 3, 4, the big brands started realizing that the baby boomers were the demographic that had money and that they wanted to represent baby boomers in ads. And so Cindy went from being a makeup artist, she got approached on the street and became a fashion model. She was in the J. Jill catalogs, billboards of Times Square. I, she was a friend of my family, so when I wanted to move to New York, New York I called her up and said, hey, let me move in with you. I wanna make a, play, a run at playing poker in New York. We became really close friends and we would have conversations about like what it's like to be a young guy in society, what it's like to be an older woman in society. And I had learned about e-commerce and I said, hey, you know, you were a makeup artist, now you're a fashion model, we should make a brand selling cosmetics to the baby boomer demographic, but have it be about content, about the conversations we have about pro-age and the experience of being a woman and how everyone is telling you that your value is declining over time and it's anti-age, anti-wrinkle, Botox. And like, we can take the opposite stance, which is what we believe. And so we kind of just built from there. And she was the face and uh, influencer behind the brand and I was the marketer, you know, yeah, all that. That's awesome. And you, you guys have had some incredible success. I don't know if you mind sharing a little bit about sure. what you guys have yeah, done. It's, uh, so Boom does about 20 million a year in revenue. But here's the thing that people don't get is it took us from 2010 to 2015 to have our first million dollar year. Oh, wow. It's like the real game is not how much money can you make this year. The real game is how much money can you make over a decade? Can you plant a tree and water it for a year and a half and let it grow a mango tree that will then fruit for generations rather than just trying to go on Amazon and rank and spear a fish. And be willing it's to like, reinvest the profits yeah. for the big picture. You got to, it's not, everyone's looking at how much can I get out. Yeah. It's about what can you put in? What, how much can you invest? Who do you know that can help you? I learned this from, I get the opportunity to uh, be the consultant for private equity funds. When they're going out to buy e-commerce brands, 10 million, 20 million, 30 million, 100 million, they'll come to me and they'll say, hey, look at their analytics, look at their ad accounts, look at their email accounts, tell us if you think, number one, it's a good deal, and number two, how would you grow it? And what I learned from looking at all these big brands is what they do is the opposite of what I did. I grew up with no money, so my thing was, if it doesn't make money, turn it off. Turn off any ads that aren't performing. Right. Uh, be real tight, try to make it all work. And what they were doing, they all had one source of profitability. It was either Google AdWords, SEO, or Amazon, one source of profitable customers. And they were taking all the profit that the company was making and putting it all back in to acquiring new customers, growing their footprint, building their social followings, building their email list, uh, running ads, building that footprint at a loss so that when they would run a sale, they had a much, much bigger footprint. So most people are looking at like, what can they get out? But the question is, what can I invest over 36 months? Keep your job, keep your side hustle, yeah. invest everything you have because the snowball gets bigger and then when you do draw from it, it's a bigger snowball. Mm -hmm. People cannibalize the growth of their business by taking money out of it too soon. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's essentially the Amazon model too with Jeff Bezos, right? I mean, just reinvesting back into the big picture of, you know, it's gonna take over the whole world eventually, right? But It's a good it's, model because it gives the operation time to mature. Yeah. I think people look, uh, people judge their, their operations about a year early. So basically most people try something for about six months or 12 months and then they judge it. My experience has been, it takes three to six months to figure out what you're doing, yeah. to get a product. Then it takes three to six months to build the technology stack, get all the tech right, get it on Amazon, get it on your own Shopify site, whatever. Then it takes three to six months to market it. Then 
You've now got your product six months. You've built it all out six months. You've marketed it six months. You learn from that, and then you do another six months of marketing. Now, at 24 months, you can judge a new operation. If you judge it before 24 months, you didn't give it enough time to like mature. And everyone who's starting out is so hungry, and I understand, I've been there. You you want, you're you're, you're in pain, you don't have money, you're working a job you don't like, you're stressed, and so you want it to work, but it's like you gotta just, and just give it time. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about mindset since we're on that topic, because I, Mindset is everything, you know, it's what's going to determine what you do with the strategy and what you learn. And yeah. I'd love to hear from you, what are, what are some of the, the mindsets that hold people back sure. from getting started in this business or someone that's already doing well from scaling to that next level? Um, and then I'd just also love to hear any other mindsets that you think can help people. So fear is a big one, right? Yeah. Fear of failure, fear of judgment from your peers, fear of judgment from your social group or your partner, fear that you're going to invest time and energy and it's not going to work and like, hey, that's going to happen. Yeah. Welcome to the game. You're going to fail a whole bunch. So like fear is what tends to limit people's willingness to jump in. Um, often fear of how they are going to be perceived by their closest social group. Because that's what you care about the most. Yeah. What do the people that you care about think of you? This is just as human beings what we care about. So that is the one when I talk to, I get the opportunity like you to relate with and talk to a lot of entrepreneurs. And when you really get down to it, the ones who have not fully jumped in are scared. And it's like, you're right to be scared. It's dangerous. It's risky. It takes a lot. But also, you have no chance of, of making it if you don't leap. Right. You got to at some point make yeah. that leap. Yeah. So I think that the, the biggest kind of thing that holds people back is some form of fear. And then I just mentioned the lack of investment, right? Like here's, there's the Spider-Man quote of, with great power comes great responsibility. Yeah. If you flip that around, it's more true. With great responsibility comes great power. What I'm getting at is most people do everything themselves. When you take responsibility for buying help 10 hours a week, you're buying help from someone. You're saying, hey, I want you to help me in my business for 10 hours a week. I'm going to pay you 15, 20 bucks an hour. You are taking responsibility for their salary. You're taking responsibility for taking money out of your pocket and paying that person. But then you wield the power of that 10 hours. And so the interesting thing about buying help, and this is really what allows you to grow a business, is how good you get at delegation and the ability to buy help. The interesting thing about help is it gets better over time. That 10 hours week one is worth a fraction of what it's worth week nine because the person who's helping you gets better. They get more attuned. They get more skill. And people will say, I hired someone and they sucked. And I'm like, no, you sucked. How much did you invest in them? Did you give them access to education? Did you tell them exactly what you wanted them to do and then give them a way to win, give them courses, send them to events, have them uh, find all the blogs. Like, here's a good example. I took someone who was working at Cracker Barrel, friend of a friend, and I said, hey, I'm looking for a social media manager. Do you want to give it a shot? I can teach you how to do it. She said, yeah, I don't like my job. I want to give it a shot. I said, okay, look, here's our goal. Within three years, I want you to be the best in the world at social media for e-commerce. Here's how we're going to get you there. You're going to go through one course every three months. You're going to document it. You're going to take notes. You're going to look at what we could implement in the business. You're going to attend these two events a year. These are the six blogs I want you to read. I'm going to have them populate into a Slack channel. You're going to consume six hours of blog content a week. You're going to make notes. You're going to come and say, this is what we're going to do. You're going to cut your teeth by implementing it in my business. Gave her a way to win. Gave her access to education. Gave her a goal to shoot for. Gave her my attention one to two hours a week. Like really invested in her. And now she's our lead social media strategist three years later. So it's like it's about 
How much are you willing to invest in the people around you? And I started with no money, so I got my cousins. Hey, come work for me for free. I promise at some point I'll be able to pay you. It's going to be fun. Like, you just, people, instead of looking outside themselves for what, what can I get to help me, you need to look around. Who's around now whose energy I can use to support this goal? That's the first question to ask is, who is here now that can support me? Is it my partner? Is it my friend? Is it my cousin? But that collaborative energy, when you're not isolated in your own little bubble, but you have someone to bounce ideas off of, someone to relate with, someone to help, someone to talk to, it's unbelievable the difference it makes. Yeah. And we were talking you know, earlier, I think a lot of people, they start, they're doing everything themselves, right? They're a one-man show, yeah. solopreneur. Yeah. And uh, one of the, you know, going back to the fear, I think a lot of people, their fear is, and I can relate to this, is re- giving up control or we yeah. have this egotistical belief, only totally. I can do this, no totally. one else can. And you know, working hard will only get you so far, you get burnt out as you said, yeah. but you gotta work smart at a certain point yeah. and use to you know, outsource and delegate and be more the business owner than the operator. So, so it starts it, with one person yes. and I call it the everything person. Mm-hmm. Get someone, sit them right next to you, show them everything you do. Get them to do the customer support emails. Like just anything that's repetitive, yes. you can delegate. So you, you look at everything that you're doing and you often start with like the, Things that aren't giving you the highest return, maybe customer support, so yeah. that you can free up your time to focus and on the, the high f- income skills. Or? Yes, and the thing about people is they want to feel autonomous and like they're contributing and that they're a part of something. They don't really care about how much money they make. Yeah. So if you give someone freedom, you say, hey, look, how can we make this better? I'm interested. You tell me after doing it, what could we do to improve it? How could we collaborate and give them a way to feel a part of it? Not just following orders, doing these mm-hmm. tasks, but like be willing to let them contribute really, really, because it helps you. You can't see everything. You can see what you can see. And if you're willing to let go, and it is hard, by the way, when you first start, because you're worried about it, like you're not doing it right, but it takes people time, you know? I want to talk just, you know, on the mindset around e-commerce. A lot of people that might be watching this, they know about Amazon. You know, Amazon's often one of the best ways for them to get started. Amazon, hundreds of millions of customers, is a search engine, great courses, ASM, all that that's available for them. But I think a lot of people, they have a mindset, they're just gonna sell a widget, uh, but they're not thinking big picture about building a brand. Yeah. And I know you're involved in building brands and then also selling on Shopify as well, but what's, what do you see, I guess, on the, the mindset that people have around this whole e-com getting it started so, and where, where they should go with it? I'm gonna take one level up and then we'll come back to this question. The level up of like the way that I'm looking at this is I'm looking at, I have a 20 years, 20 years left on my work life of working at this pace. I'm 32. I'll be 33 in six months. I'm not going to work this hard for, about, for much longer. I got 15 to 20 years. Okay, so I know that's the work-life window of how, how long I want to keep this pace, and then I want to taper it down. I think the game is resource generation. How much resource can I generate that I can then use towards causes that I find noble? Taking care of my family, supporting my community, saving the rainforest, doing things in the world that are meaningful. So, so I want to generate resource and I want to leverage business and entrepreneurship as my vehicle to do that. So when I've looked at this, what I realized is that cash flow businesses do not generate the kind of wealth that I am trying to achieve. They're great. They're wonderful. They're fun. They're awesome. You should do them. But the way that you generate wealth, from what I can tell, is you sell assets or you acquire assets, operate them, and then sell them. It's not usually from cash flow businesses. It's from, from being able to come across big chunks of money all at once and then deploy that to either buy another asset or invest in something that then has a return in the future so you can keep running that. So my goal is to build assets, businesses, and then sell them or 
take the money that I make from selling assets and acquire more and operate them and sell them. So if the goal is resource generation and the goal is liquidation events, sale of our assets that we build or buy, and we want to then have those be the most impactful, Amazon alone is not the most valuable asset. Amazon is inherently volatile in that you know, you got negative reviews, Amazon's undercutting you building their own products. It's the most amazing thing in the world because, like you said, half of America only shops there. Yeah. 50 cents out of every dollar is spent there. It's easy to get started. It acts as both your traffic source and your sales platform. It's great, but it's cash flow. It's not a business. So if you have a brand on Amazon, you want to start looking at how can I build what, are, what I label brand assets off of Amazon? Brand assets are, you don't even need to take payment off of Amazon, but you need brand assets. Emails, Facebook Messenger subscribers, uh, email addresses, Facebook yeah. Messenger subscribers, uh, Instagram followers, YouTube followers, Facebook likes. You need a, a group of people who are actively engaged with you over time that when you encourage them to buy something, they do. And the way that you do that is through content, yes. through what you are doing right here. Yeah. You find a group of people, and the people who are buying your products have what I call a shared experience. So businesses are engaging with a group of people who are having a collective experience, putting content in front of that group of people that adds value to their life and comments on that experience, and then making them offers. I'll give you an example. Boom is communicating with women over 50 who are experiencing the process of aging and having all of society tell them that that is bad. We create content that is about that experience, about menopause, about under eye circles, about silver hair, about makeup, about beauty, about dating, about the experience of being a woman over 50. And we put that in front of them and then they consume it. Consumption is a way of subscribing to you because on Facebook and YouTube, you can track people who consume right. and you can follow up with them. Yeah. So just the act of them consuming your content, they're a subscriber, that's a brand asset. Yeah, it's called a pixeled audience. And so what you wanna be thinking out about if you're on Amazon is, can I spend 10, 15, 20% of my time, I just talked about this at ASM, or at SellerCon, building brand assets off of Amazon because a brand that sells only on Amazon is worth a one and a half multiple of its yearly profit. So if it makes a million dollars a year at 100 grand profit, it's worth 150 grand, 200 grand, 300 grand maybe. A brand that sells only on Amazon but has a whole bunch of brand assets like an email list, a social following, Facebook Messenger subscribers that it is putting content in front of and adding value to and engaging and then sending them back to Amazon to buy is worth a four, five, six, seven X multiple on the yearly profit of the brand just because it has stability outside of that channel. So I advocate for the slow growth approach for the building of communities by adding value through content because my greater hustle is how can I generate the most resource possible so that I can then deploy that resource into the world in a way that will um, benefit everyone. I mean, my, my tagline in business is serve the world unselfishly and profit because I believe that when you are in a role of service, you pro I believe that's a description. If you serve the world unselfishly, you will profit. And so I don't know if I just went on a crazy no, tangent. No, I, I totally agree. I mean, uh, one thing I learned from Jay Abraham is you want to build a Parthenon and one, not a one-legged stool. And yeah. so often Amazon, it's great, but it, one-legged stool. One you don't stool. fully have control over everything. Yeah. You don't get the customer email address. And yes, start on Amazon, use Amazon, but also yeah. build those other assets that give you that sustainability. And you know, like yeah. you said, if you want to sell the business, it gives you more Which leverage. you should want to because yes. then you can take that revenue. You can buy another one. You can build another one. You can use it for stuff. It's like... Depends on what is, game is you're playing. Maybe you're playing the game of, let me just run a business that's super fun to run, and that's great too. So when you go into that mindset, if you have that mindset to begin that this is maybe a sellable asset, not that it's your option, of course, but at least going in with that mindset, 
Does it change how you operate the business and how you? How you yeah, build it? you're much more worried about profit because the sale of an, an asset is valued mostly on its profit, not on its top line revenue. Top line revenue is important, but profit is more important. So things like how much repeat business do you get? Yeah. That's really important. So that'll affect your valuation. If you have 10% of your business that's from repeats, your valuation is lower than if you have half of your businesses from repeats because it's more stable if more people come back. So if you know you're going to sell the business, you expand the product line so that you can cross-sell. You run it lean. You, you know, are paying attention. You, you maybe run it to grow your customers. You, know, you spend all the money you're making in customer amplification, and in the last 18 months, you slow down on that. You make it more profitable. So there's like some tricks you can do to like maximize profitability, but profitability is extremely important in asset um, in the sale of assets, yeah. which is why if you're going to sell, you start two years before you plan to sell, optimizing it for sale, making it more profitable, working on your repeat business, working on your average order value, working on your conversion rate, working on cross-selling additional products. Right. Got it. I'm glad that you mentioned content marketing as well because I believe in the power of that. You're the relationship. very good at it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> the relationship, the trust, everything that you build yeah. through it. And um, I know you spoke about it, so I would love for you to share a few pieces on that. But one thing I want to point out is that I know a lot of people, they're held back because they don't want to be the face, they don't want to put themselves out there, but you're a great example because, I mean, you create your own content, but you partnered with someone, Cindy. Yeah, and she just and passed she, away, by the way, oh, wow. in July, which was really heavy because she was like a second mom to me. Right. But we had transitioned that brand away from just her because we knew that she was not feeling well, we knew that she didn't want to be the face anymore, so we transitioned it to be a number of people, all kinds of women speaking about that experience, and I would actually recommend doing that where your brand has multiple people talking on its behalf so you aren't so... Um, people can relate to different people. Yeah, and so you aren't so reliant on one person, Got it. which was the mistake I made. we made with the life coaching business yeah. way back in the day, and I didn't want to repeat that with Boom. So a couple of years ago, we actually transitioned from uh, you know, just Cindy to a whole bunch of women. You can go to boombycindyjoseph.com and go to our blog and you'll see what, what we're doing there. But you could also do only written content. You don't have to do videos. You could do written articles. You could hire, hire writers. You could get your, your, your customers are your best right. influencers. Right. Incentivize them. Offer them $10. Hey, I'm going to give you a $10 gift certificate. You shoot a video. Tell me why you like our products, why you like what we're doing in the world. What was your experience like shopping with us? And then that becomes your content. Like, the millennial brands really understand this. The brands that sell the millennials mainly do user-generated content as their whole marketing play. Yes. What about if you wanted to bring on someone like a long, like long-term influencer, I Love guess? It. I'm sure you could reach out to influencers, but yeah. I, how would you structure it or set it up? Would you just pay an ambassador a certain amount well, of money or I think give them free product? or how? There's a lot of ways to do it. And I'm a big fan of having your partners have upside. Yeah. I don't want a deal that I wouldn't take the other side of. I want a deal where everyone is happy. I want a deal where every I want a deal that is so good that the surplus of it spills out onto the people around me. And so I always offer equity to someone who's really going to be contributing in that way. The thing about it too is when someone feels that ownership, you could still have 90% equity. Give them 10%. You could have full control where it's like they're not involved in the decision making, but when they have upside, they care more. They're more invested. They want it to go well. It's not like you're just paying them. Now, we also do it where we just pay people, hey, we're going to pay you for the day, come in and do content. That's a great model. Yeah. If someone is just going to do content, just pay them. You don't need to give them equity. But if they're going to be contributing intellectual property, ideas for products, collaborating with you, being invested in it, if they're going to be like playing a role of more than just I do what you tell me on camera, the way to structure it is, hey, I feel like we could have a collaboration here. I want to bring you in. I'm going to pay you X. We're going to do a four-month trial. 
If at the end of four months we both feel good about it and we want to work deeper together, let's have that conversation. But for now, I'd like to contract you to help me do some content for my brand, see if you like it, and you do a trial run. I do this for every new employee. Every person on my team comes in at a trial, and at the end of 90 days, I say, how was it for you? Here's what I thought of it. We don't start with commitments because you don't know how it's going to go. You know. Um, but I think specifically with content influencers and ambassadors, do not give equity unless they're contributing more than just content. But if, they're, if, they're, if it's going to be more of a deep... Cindy was product formulation. She was... She had so much... We, I mean, I came up with the idea for the company and we started it together, but she really did contribute. There's no business without Cindy. There's no business without me, but there was no business without her. So it was a real good you know, uh, 50-50 uh, partnership. So let's talk a little bit more about content. Do you mind just maybe sharing a few pieces of what you shared at this event about content marketing and what, yeah. what do you believe people should do or any tips or advice for them? So like you were mentioning, most people are just trying to sell a product, right? They're going to go on Amazon, they're going to find a black light flashlight, they're going to slap that thing up there and they're going to try to get it to rank. That's great for query-based traffic. People typing in queries, and then they go to buy the thing. You're never going to make contextual traffic, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Pinterest, work. Pinterest is some queries with that strategy because the thing about contextual traffic, which is what revolutionized advertising, didn't exist when I first got into the game, it's Facebook and YouTube, Facebook and Google, let's say, have 25,000 data points on you. They know what you buy. They know who you like. They know who your friends are. They know what you're interested in. We as advertisers, and this is what Facebook is getting in trouble for, by the way, we can aggregate those data points and we can build a profile of people that we want to put, a, put an ad in front of, right? So it's a contextual ad. It's very much like someone's reading a magazine and we're inter it's interruption advertising. We're interrupting them with an ad. So to make that work, you need more than a product. You need a why. So you need to have a reason you're in business. You need a story that you tell and you need a purpose. I call it mission, story, purpose. What's your mission? At Boom, our mission is to offer a pro-age viewpoint, to uh, show people, give people the, the, the thought that aging doesn't have to be bad. Our story is Cindy, her experience, the experience of women in this, in this demographic. Uh, the, like our story is, what is it like to be a woman over 50? And our purpose is, we're out here uh, reclaiming cosmetics as a venue for celebration rather than fear and covering up. So we have this like, and I did a whole talk on like how you figure out what your mission story purpose is, how you then use that to inform the content you create. But if you have that, if you know why you're in business, if you're not just out trying to sell a product, but you have some deeper goal, like for Smart Marketer, we want to serve the world unselfishly in profit. We want to support business owners in scaling their business. Uh, Everlane, you ever bought from Everlane? The greatest brand in the world. Go buy from them. They have grown a direct-to-consumer, internet-based fashion company from zero to multiple hundred millions with one simple mission and story. It was radical transparency. They said, hey, everywhere else you buy your clothes, you look great, by the way, they don't tell you where it's made, how much it costs, and uh, whether or not it's doing harm to the environment. We're going to tell you exactly how much everything costs. We're going to show you our markups. We're going to show you where we make it. We're going to be radically transparent. We think that everyone else is ripping you off, and we're going to uh, reinvent uh, the, the clothing industry by being transparent about our, our, our manufacturing process. And they have done super duper well with that mission and story and purpose, which is something people could get on board with. And they do content around it and they show you how they, they make their denim with zero waste and, and it yeah. doesn't pollute the waters. And like, so they are, and millennials care a lot about how things are made. So this whole manufacturing process transparency strategy is a great one if you're selling to millennials. But that alone was enough to inform all their content to build a multi-hundred million dollar brand. And so 
What people need is some reason they are in business beyond selling a product, a story they are telling about what they're doing, and a purpose. And uh, then I've got a whole system. You can go to my website. I talk about it. Yeah. But that's, yeah. the, no, that's, that's, that's great because people connect with that. They'll, that's the power of the brand. You know, People will buy from you versus anyone else, even if you're out of stock, even if you have more expensive product because they're not just buying the product, now they're buying into the story yeah. that they get to be a part of. It's like a, an identity, I yes. guess. And I sense that about what you're doing here with Project yeah. Life Mastery, that like you're doing more than just selling content. You are a- attempting to serve a community of people because it, it is meaningful to you in some way. I don't know your whole shtick, but like I can feel it, yeah. and people can feel it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and I just I guess on that point too, how, how important do you think it is then just to choose a niche or a product that you have a passion for or, or can turn into that sense I, of mission versus, because for you, you know, it's primarily, I think a, um, Boom is a, a female-driven business, but did you have that passion behind the by product? 60 or? women, so I had that, you know, I had that, uh, I do have a passion for that. I think that, like, we live in a misogynistic and chauvinist culture and that women are told that their value in society stems from youth and beauty and that their life is pretty good till about 35 and then it's all downhill, you know, tuck it in, tighten it up, anti-aging, Botox, inject yourself, cover your... It's like, it's a shitty deal. When men, on the other hand, we, in the eyes of society, are valued for production. The more money we make, the more powerful we get as we age. So I do feel passionate about that cause. But what I am passionate about is marketing, engaging groups of people, spreading messages, being the catalyst for community. And I think anyone, here's the interesting thing about the passion thing, right? Humans follow winning behavior. We like to win. We repeat what we are successful at. People who do well at things continue to do those things. And so I think that the number one skill, and I like that this is the name of your brand, I think the skill that you want in life is the skill of mastery, which is the willingness to put your attention consistently in one area over time. You pick up the instrument for 30 minutes a day, you get better at it, and you fall in love with it because you're investing in it. You can be passionate about whatever the fuck you invest in. And so if you are willing to invest in marketing and building a business, you will fall in love with it and you will get good at it. And it's like, people are always, this is a, I was talking to my buddy about this, People are waiting for the right person to come along. They also want to find the right person, but it's like, no, you find a person right, approve of someone, and invest in the relationship, and it will get better. It's like what you invest in is what you fall in love with. Yeah. So I don't know if that gave you an no, answer. No, that's great. This is so good, but I guess you know, one, or two que- one or two more questions. What, what advice would you give to someone watching this? Maybe they're just getting started. They're looking at a business to start online. Um, any things that you wish that you knew or things that you feel could help people that are at the beginning stage? Yeah. We kind of touched on this earlier. It's going to take longer than you think. Give yourself more time than, than you feel you should before you judge the effectiveness of it. Be willing to ask for help. Don't be too proud to have mentors and find people who can help you. And be vulnerable and transparent about where you are. It's generally not about the product you choose or the market you're in. It's more about where you are in your own head about how you're approaching your business and whether or not you're willing to reach out and get help when you're stuck. And a lot of people are too proud to ask for help. It's like you've got, you need mentors and people who have been there before you and you can ha- they can help you rise. And the other thing I think is, again, the question of what can I get out of the business is the wrong question. What can I invest in the business? That's the question to ask yourself. The other thing I notice about men in particular is men are taught that being interesting is the strategy in life. Have cool stories to tell, do cool things, make money, be interesting. But actually, 
being interested in other people and your market is what is successful. Attention is the greatest commodity. It's what Facebook and YouTube and all these big companies are vying for. You have attention as a human being and you can wield that attention to uh, benefit you and also benefit the world by what you put your, put your attention outward. Everyone is so worried. People are worried about, I was saying, people are worried about being judged by their social group, right? Nobody is paying attention to you. They're all paying attention to themselves. So get out of your own head, quit worrying about your performance and just move in the direction of your goals every single day with a positive attitude. Thank you, brother. Thanks really appreciate yeah. it. How, how can people find out more about you? you go to, um, smartmarketer.com or I'm at Ezra Firestone on Instagram and uh, meet Ezra on Facebook. Uh, come hang out with me. How about YouTube? Uh, YouTube, I'm uh, youtube.com forward slash the smart marketer or just Google me. Ezra we'll, we'll link everything below for you guys as well. But thank you guys so much for watching this. If you enjoyed it, give it a thumbs up here on YouTube. Subscribe for more videos and of course, check out Ezra. He's got some incredible courses that I've been through and so much incredible value. We just kind of scratched the surface here. So thank you again, Thanks man. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate, appreciate it. it. Awesome. Thanks for joining me today and listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode or received any value, then I'd love for you to leave an honest review on iTunes and subscribe to the Project Life Mastery podcast for future episodes. And of course, to receive more content and value, make sure to find and follow me at www.projectlifemastery.com for more. Thanks again. Remember to always believe and commit your life to mastery. I look forward to talking to you again soon.